0: Our text this morning comes from Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, paralleled with James chapter 1 verse 12. Been a while since I introduced the text without saying 2 Peter (laughs) as we have over the past year. But we... It concluded our verse by verse study of the epistle of second Peter in our study last week. And in that study, we were instructed to anticipate with expectation the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. Along with that encouragement to anticipate with expectation his coming, we were admonished to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, it's fitting then for us to look this morning at the doctrine that we have titled the Faith Rest Technique. It's important to understand that process that God has provided for us, the mechanics of implementing His Word into our daily life in order for us to experience the peace that comes from God, that is the peace of God, and that is peace with God through our personal faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need that peace, and we need the understanding of the basic doctrines that He has set forth for us in order that we might fulfill His plan, His design for each one of us. And Peter has stressed again and again and again the point that we are sojourners. We have seen that is defined as foreigners, not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals to do the business of our King. We have, as a result of receiving Christ as personal Savior, established a citizenship in the kingdom of God. And that citizenship is that which we look forward to and that Peter has encouraged us concerning, yes, it's been a while, but it is coming. Until that time, we are to be active as sojourners, foreigners, living alongside the locals, living out that commission that God has given to each one of us. And with all that is taking place in these last days, it would be very easy for us to become frustrated, or angry with our circumstances. I said it would be easy. I won't inventory just where you are in that process. But before we get into the basics related to Peter's admonition that we are going to build on over the next several weeks of growing in grace and uh, Experiencing, then, that which God has provided for us in knowledge, it's fitting that we should look at this means of having peace in the midst of spiritual warfare, of having peace in the midst of the turmoil that we find in uh, the workplace, that we find uh, in our communities, And certainly on the national government level that we see today, there is a need to understand the means that God has provided whereby no matter what is going on around us and what we are experiencing in our own lives, we are able to know that God is not only able, but He has provided promises that will encourage us and strengthen us in our daily walk. So I want you to look with me this Sunday and next Sunday at the Faith Rest Life to become better equipped in order to live at these last times and then properly be able to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the time that he has allotted us as his sojourners, his administrators, his stewards, calling us uh, by a number of different titles indicating to us the various different roles. And then, uh, of course, in the New Testament, being able to see how he has set forth for us that we are believer priests and we have a direct access to God and that He has gifted each one of us with unique abilities so that in our day-by-day living as a sojourner alongside the locals, we are able to represent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Two passages of Scripture that I set forth for us as text this morning. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. This statement was made to the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation, which we have previously identified. That is the period of the church under persecution. You may recall the word Smyrna is the name of the city that this letter is addressed to, but it identifies a resin that was placed into vats and crushed to extract the oil out of that, a very costly fragrance that was called myrrh. It typifies the period of time in which the church was persecuted under the heel of the Roman government. But though that message is written to them with each of the letters to the seven churches and each of those churches identifying a particular period of time from the day of Pentecost in 30 AD and the establishment of the church ministry until the rapture of the church that this church at Smyrna represents then that period of persecution. And yet in all the letters we are told to hear what the Spirit says to those churches. There is a relevance to us and while the main and chief characteristics relate specifically. Specifically to that period of time, we recognize the spillover of all these aspects in the various periods of church history. So this message is pertinent to us. We are to hear what the Spirit says to the church. The key word in this statement is the word faithful. It's translated from the Greek word pistos, which is a predicate adjective that identifies one that is characterized as maintaining his or her dependency upon something. And that something, of course, in the context is the promises, the principles, and the doctrines that are revealed in the Word of God. The crown of life is awarded on the basis then of one's faith reliance upon the promises, the principles, and the doctrines that are revealed to us in the Word of God. Being faithful unto death. Now don't confuse this crown with salvation. Salvation. Salvation carries with it a crown that's identified in scripture, but when that word crown is found in our English New Testament, it's translated from the word diadema. And that identifies the authority and position of ruling. And as a result of our salvation, we receive a diadem. We are going to rule and reign with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the word crown here in Revelation is the word Stephanos. The diadem emphasizes authority and stresses then that position. But the Stephanos is a crown of achievement. It's based on achievement. And so, when we see this reference to the crown, we must make the distinction that the diadema identifies God's righteousness in grace being credited to our account. But along with His righteousness in grace, we see He provides also His basic resources for us to live the Christian life. So for salvation, we have God's righteousness at Christ's expense. But in living the Christian life, we have God's resources at Christ's expense. And we have an accountability as stewards of God, of how we use those resources and how we develop that into our life mission the design that we are to live. So the word crown here is a Stephanos crown, and these Stephanos crowns are going to be awarded. There are four of them that are identified to us in Scripture, and they each relate to a specific technique in living the Christian way of life. This crown of life that is given is going to be given then on the basis of our resting in faith and our applying God's promises, principles, and doctrine to our daily walk and to our service for Him. God has provided resources, and for that there is an accountability, and we will, at the judgment seat of Christ, receive our crown of life. The Stephanos crown was quite different than the diadema and uh, came in all different uh, varieties uh, uh, of foliage uh, that was presented to uh, the winner, to the recipient uh, of that crown. And so while we will all receive a Stephanos crown based on how we have lived life, resting in faith, there is going to be quite a variety as we receive our crowns from one another, depending on our faithfulness to him. So Revelation introduces the concept, but we go back to the epistle of James, chapter 1, verse 12, that we might see James is addressing this. He says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There are two specific things that stand out in this text relative to receiving the crown of life. Endureth temptation and when he is tried. Endureth temptation is translated from the Greek text, Hupomene, uh, parasimon and uh, uh, hupomene is the word that means to abide, but to abide comfortably under your circumstances. Well, that should have some sort of appeal to us if not being offset by frustration that we would have the ability to contentedly abide under whatever circumstances we encounter. parēsamon means that while it's translated in our English text, temptation, uh, the old English has changed uh, uh, since that was originally written, and uh, it re- does not refer to a solicitation to evil that we might associate the word temptation with but it identifies a trial, some kind of tribulation or trial that we might experience. So when we combine the two words together, it identifies a state of abiding contentedly under the circumstances of trials or tribulations. That should certainly have some appeal to all of us, And it should become our focus of challenge uh, as we try to live out the design that Christ has assigned us here upon the earth. The idea here then is that the crown of life is awarded on the basis of your resting in faith no matter what your circumstances are. And so we need to understand the how-to in order to accomplish that objective. Now the last statement of this verse also needs some explanation. It says the crown of life is to those, uh, it is promised to those that love him. The word love, remember there are four different Greek words that are translated love. This word is the Word agape, agapeo, uh, the, the verb aspect, agape is the noun form of it. And the form that we have here is agaposin. It means a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues to love regardless. So here's the question. How do we love God? self-sacrificially, and how do we manifest that in giving to Him regardless of how He responds to us? That's the concept that is identified in the Word of God of losing our life for His sake in order that we might find it as we find dealt with in Matthew chapter 16 verse 25. To love God with a self-sacrificial love requires that we die to our own personal purposes, that we die to our own objectives, that we die to our own, I hate to say this, but that we die to our own preferred circumstances and that we accept that which he has provided and uh, which He allows in our lives. And I would suggest to you that that ability, in the light of the statement of our ability to live the faithless life, is directly dependent upon our self-sacrificial acceptance of what God allows our circumstances and situations to be. Peter identified this in our study of that second epistle in the section under spiritual growth in which he said, Add to your faith virtue, and within that sphere of faith develop fully virtue, and then within that sphere of virtue fully develop knowledge, and in that sphere of knowledge fully develop self-control And in that sphere of self-control fully develop patience and in that sphere of patience fully develop godliness. Godliness. You see beyond. Is that consistency of duty to God that is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to him. Godliness is self-sacrificial love in action. Then we're to add in the sphere of godliness, we're to fully develop brotherly kindness. And in the sphere of brotherly kindness, we're to fully develop self-sacrificial agape love. It's a growth process that is outlined for us, and we have reviewed that in our study of that epistle. When we give up the pursuit of trying to control our circumstances by, in everything, giving thanks to Him, we are able to understand that all of the circumstances that we encounter are in accordance with, with the will of God. Now remember, we have seen there are three aspects of the will of God. God has a directive will, He has a permissive will, and He has an overruling will. We would do well if we didn't have that permissive will. But because He created us in His image, He gave us the freedom of choice. And... uh, What we must do then is know what His directive will is and then we can operate on that basis. Loving God is the accepting of His control or a willingness to allow the circumstances that we encounter to not offset us from our peace and our happiness, but to walk in that realm of faith, resting on the reality that He is causing all these things to work together for our good. <clears throat> so I want this morning to review the brief aspects of this that we might be able to implement it more practically into our daily life. The term the faith rest life is deceptive of a, or descriptive rather <clears throat> of a life that is lived by the believer, and in that life he or she becomes dependent upon this process or technique of resting in faith. Now, this life is developing. And we must recognize that none of us have fully arrived at the application of this principle and the, this technique, but we need to be daily working on it and moving, excuse me, in that direction. Worry? Anxiety, frustration, anger, all of those are sin. Worry, anxiety, frustration, anger, and fear are, in fact, sins. Yet all of us, to varying degrees, struggle with aspects of these in our daily walk. They are sin because they are the manifestation of a lack of faith. Worry, anxiety, frustration, anger, and fear are all a lack of faith. They're responses that may be natural to us, and they are evidences of our either not believing that God is able to take care of the situation, or believing that what God is allowing is not the best action for our experience. And then there's that attitude that, well, I know He's going to work it together for my good, but I don't like the way He's doing it. Now, we kind of hesitate to say that audibly, but we say it in the daily practice of our life when the frustration and the anger and the worry develop. So the believer needs to learn how to rest in faith, how to experience the full joy and peace that God has divinely designed for us in our life. It's the development of the faith rest technique that will provide us with the peace that passes all human understanding. Let's look at the issue then. Stress is the evidence of a lack of faith, a lack of the faith rest life. Now the dictionaries define stress as follows. As a noun, the action or the effect of force exerted within or upon, as a noun, the force brought to bear on something to bring out what is important. As a verb, it's defined as to subject to stress, to give emphasis to and especially by displaying more or less prominently. So for sake of our study, we'll use the first definition, that of a noun, the action or the effect of force, that is exerted within or upon a thing. Now, all of us experience stress factors. That is, all of us are exposed to force exerted within ourselves or upon ourselves. The degree of stress and its effect will vary greatly from individual to individual and with any individual from time to time. The degree of stress that we might experience will vary. For some, the major point of stress is within themselves. For others, the major effect and exposure to stress is from outside forces. Doesn't make any difference whether it's from within or outside the remedy is the same, the mechanics are the same as we deal with it. We need to learn to deal biblically with stress, and that's going to be a key technique for our living the Christian life and for our being able to master the other techniques is dependent upon our understanding and application of resting in faith many books have been written. There are seminars held daily uh, across our nation and uh, workshops that have been developed because of the devastating effect of stress. And apparently, uh, without little help in many of these areas, uh, uh, there continues to be this major problem of stress in the life of individuals. One of the reasons for such poor results in the presence of such a multitude of self-help books and seminars and conferences uh, uh, that have been developed is because most of the time the focus is upon the emotional perspective with a focus on the circumstance. And that's why the circumstances uh, must be understood uh, as uh, we develop this faith rest life to be not the factor that determines our happiness. You can't always change the circumstance, but you can always change your response to the circumstance. The single cause of stress, the single cause of stress is a lack of faith. Faith is, of course, more than believing. It's trust and dependency. Stress is the result of our not depending on God not trusting God, not believing God can, not believing God will, not believing that He's chosen the best route for us. Developing a faith-rest life is the only way that we can effectively deal with stress and we can experience uh, the joy that God has designed for our daily lives. We must remember Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Remember our earlier examination of the word love in James chapter 1, verse 12. Well, we have that same word here in Ephesians. The text refers to our being rooted and grounded in the self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving, and continues regardless of the response. The basis for our stability is that we have sacrificed our will for God's will. And so we stop disagreeing with the way God's dealing with the circumstances in our life. God has provided the means whereby we can experience security, and stability, no matter what the circumstance may claim. However, the ability to trust God comes from our understanding the promises, the principles, and the doctrines of the Word of God as it is communicated to us in an understandable manner. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, speaking of those Jews that did not enter into the promised land because of their lack of faith. But the word preached did not profit them. Notice, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. In this passage, the writer of the book of Hebrews uses two participles, heard And mixed. Now Greek participle identifies, always identifies a principle. Although the children of Israel made it a principle, they made it a matter of principle to hear God. They refused to make it a matter of principle to mix what God said with faith and depend upon it. The issue is not the mere exposure then to the promises, the principles, and the doctrines of the Bible, but to our placing, our dependency, and our trust on those promises and principles and doctrines. In order for us to develop the faith rest technique, we must learn the promises and the principles and the doctrines of the Word of God, but in addition to that learning, we must mix that knowledge with faith. We must apply it to our circumstance and our situation. When you're resting in faith, you'll find worry and frustration are gone. A crown of life is going to be awarded at the judgment seat of Christ and it will be based on your development of this technique while you have lived here upon the earth. The real value of the crown, though, is not to receive that at that awards banquet in the sky, but the real reward is in your day-to-day peace. The absence of frustration and of anger and of worry. Now, we have to be aware of the distinction between human viewpoint and divine viewpoint. Viewing our circumstances and situations from a human perspective will bring worry, anxiety, frustration, and anger. But viewing it from God's point of view will bring peace, joy, and we'll experience growth in the midst of it. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 identifies this. God said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to understand the distinction between human viewpoint, viewing those circumstances and situations from the human perspective and the divine viewpoint, wherein we view our circumstances and our situations from God's perspective. We began at birth being programmed with human viewpoint. At birth, We are programmed with that. And so as a result, there must be a reprogramming of our minds. Paul writes extensively about this in the New Testament as he exposes us to the doctrines of the church age in order that we might understand then from a divine viewpoint the plan of God and that which God is working. I've introduced this subject to us because it's the core of our being able to live the faith rest life. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And our focus today then is to establish the basic mechanics and then next week, Lord willing, He carry, we will examine the specifics of replacing our human viewpoint with divine viewpoint. We have to change the way we think. There are three essentials for converting uh, God's Word into personal behavior. Understanding, acceptance, and application. Understanding, acceptance, and application. I suppose the faith rest life can best be described as peace and contentment as a result of understanding, accepting, applying the promises, the principles, and the doctrines of God's Word to every circumstance or situation that we encounter. The ability to develop the faith rest life is then dependent upon our understanding and our acceptance, and then the application of God's work. And so, the how to of acquiring this lifestyle is getting understanding, our personal acceptance, and our personal application. That will result then in the believer being able to rest in faith and to receive the crown of life at the judgment seat, but most of all to experience the peace of God as we live day by day and the satisfaction in our spiritual walk. So look with me at the how-to. Now, you will observe that there is a tremendous overlap in the process of developing what I've identified as four basic techniques of the Christian life based upon the four crowns, Stephanos crowns, that are identified as going to be presented to us at the judgment seat of Christ. There is an overlap in the process of developing these four basic techniques. The technique of living the Spirit-controlled life. The technique of developing spiritual maturity. The technique of developing the faith-rest life. And the technique of developing faithful stewardship. All of those are united around the concept of the Word of God wherein we accept the Word as a norm or standard for our life and make application to our circumstances and situation. Now, the distinction between them is found in the focus of specific doctrines that are related to each one of the techniques. But the process is basically the same. Developing maturity is associated with developing the spirit control life. Developing the faith-rest technique is associated with developing maturity. And all three of those are associated with developing faithful stewardship. So let me briefly this morning review the basis of this three-step process. First of all, we must get understanding. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9, identify two things that we must get. Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote thee. She will bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall not, or she shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory, shall she deliver to thee. In this text from Proverbs, the focus is on wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the translation from the Hebrew text of the word kokma. It's the parallel to the Greek word we find in the New Testament translated wisdom, sophos. Kokma means the ability to understand how to apply Scripture to your circumstance. So we are challenged to get that ability to understand how to apply what the Scripture says to our life. James tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, and it's sophos, the, the counterpart to the word cocknaw, If you lack that ability to understand how to apply Scripture to your circumstance, then he says, Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So the ability to understand how to apply what God's Word says to your day-by-day circumstance is available for the asking. It's a promise of God that if we lack that and we ask, he does put a qualifier on it, let him ask believing. He doesn't need to think he's going to receive anything if he if he doubts what God has said. But you can have that knowledge of how to apply the Scripture to your life for the asking. Now, he says, get understanding as well. The ability to understand how to apply it. We have frequently identified this process as occurring where information is taken in the left frontal lobe. Comprehension occurs in the left frontal lobe. But it's in your right frontal lobe that your behavior is dictated. And so the information you may have in your left frontal lobe is not going to change your behavior until you mix it with faith and cycle it over to your right frontal lobe where there is then the conscience and you establish your norms and standards that will dictate your behavior. The wisdom is ours for the asking. And then he said, get understanding. That's, then a different concept, that's the knowledge that we need. So we must, first of all, understand then that need to accept what God says. Information that we read, that we hear, that we are taught, Does not change our behavior till we mix it with faith, believing it, accepting it. We must accept what God has said. In our daily practice, we may recognize that I know God has promised that He's working this situation for my good. I never doubt that. I understand that completely. I just frequently disagree with the way he's doing it. That there's a better way, Lord, (laughs) for me to learn this lesson. There's a better way for this to be resolved. Our lack of faith in God's promise and God's provision isn't limited just to his ability, but we all too frequently, by our response, deny that we really believe He has our best interest at heart and what He is doing and what He is allowing is going to have the greatest blessing that would be available to us in it. We have to come to that point then that we are willing to understand and accept what God has provided. It's not what we know that dictates our behavior. It's what we believe concerning our circumstances and receiving that information. We may be able to quote the passage and quote Romans eight twenty eight uh, back and forth, but if you have not transferred that information in acceptance over to your right frontal lobe, you will still experience worry, anxiety, fear in those circumstances. So while we claim to believe the Word of God, our actions often indicate that we don't always mix what the Word says with faith and accept it. We don't practice what we say we believe. And you have heard me in the past say, and you will no doubt hear me in the future say, if you want to know what you really believe, what you truly believe, inventory your behavior. That is a reflection of what you have mixed with faith and accepted as a norm and standard for yourself. If we accept it as a standard then our own personal behavior is going to be programmed so that our conscience and our frame of reference and our reflexive action is in that way. The other word for the word that's translated wisdom in our English New Testaments is fortion. And it is the automatic reflexive application of knowledge to your experience. We don't get that for the asking. For the asking, we get so fast. We get the ability to understand how to apply it. But fortion requires our personal faith in that to the point of dependency that we apply. it. It's only what we have agreed with God on As a norm or standard for us, that dictates our behavior. And so we can know what our belief is by inventorying our behavior. In personally accepting what the Word says as a norm or standard for our life, we are able then to develop a divine viewpoint rather than a human viewpoint. As we begin to look at things from God's point of view. But having that knowledge and making that transfer, there is that continual growth problem that we need then to make application when the situation or circumstances arrive. While we can't control, I said, our circumstances, we can and must control our response. Our response will only be that which we have mixed with faith, believing and accepting as a norm or standard for ourselves. And so we have such a promise that God causes all things to work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, we must accept that not only academically, but we must accept it with dependency. And when the occasion arises, we must make conscious application. It's as we are reminded, we remind ourselves, or in some families like mine, the others remind you, of the application of Romans 8.28 and the other promises and principles that are found in the Word of God. When all too often we want God to manipulate our circumstances instead of our attitude, it becomes evident then that we have not surrendered to His will We have not placed our sacrificial love toward Him and allowed Him to live in us through the design of the various promises and principles He has set forth for us. If we are going to experience the peace and joy that God has designed for us here on earth as sojourners, as foreigners, not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals to the king's business, we must develop the technique of resting in faith and live out the design of the faith-rest life. The process that I've described in our study today, getting understanding accepting what God allows in our life, applying His Word to our circumstances. That's the basic method for living the faith rest life. But in order for us to be consistent in living that lifestyle, we have to replace our human viewpoint with divine viewpoint. So we'll pick up here next Sunday and build on that, that we might understand this process of viewing things from a divine perspective. And so, till then, experiment with these principles, with these promises, with this technique that God has provided for us. Just take one promise. Take Romans eight twenty eight this week, and see how it works out in your life. There's not a circumstance, there's not a situation that you're going to encounter, the Romans eight twenty eight will not relate to. You'll be able to inventory where you are, and you'll well, walk. Sometimes, it's a bit uncomfortable. Perhaps that will motivate us then and direct us to not changing just what we think, but changing what we believe as we find it in the Word of God. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And as we learn the Word of God, we have to accept it in order for it to be transferred to our right frontal lobe and dictate behavior that will manifest peace and joy in our lives. But of course it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.